Hey guys, welcome to the uh, third episode of the Kurt Schilling Baseball Show. Uh, I am happy to be here with my cohort, Bill Graff. Bill, hello. Hey, Kurt, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Uh, things are cranking up, heating up, and uh, a lot to get to today, so uh, we're going to fire out Let's of the Let's get gates. right to it. Yeah, so um, the uh, WBC uh, starts uh, this about five days from now. Um, 20 nations uh, competing goes from the 8th to the 21st. Uh, 186 players on the 40-man rosters of major league teams uh, are in the tournament, and there's going to be hundreds more in uh, in the minor league systems on these teams. Astros, Cardinals are both sending 13 guys. Uh, apparently, <laughs> Dusty Baker says 11 of the 13 players he's planning on having on his opening day roster, and that's creating problems for him in, in uh, planning and getting ready. Um, but I'm going to back up a second. So, uh, as a, I don't really care about the position players in the sense that they'll, they'll be fine. They'll do what they need to do. They'll get their at bats and, and, uh, spring training is usually not for them anyway. It's for, for, for pitchers. Um, so I'm going to back up and, and explain something, uh, before we talk about this. Um, there are seven levels to, uh, effort. Uh, for a pitcher to get ready for the season. And by that, I mean each level that you step up, the effort level uh, intensifies, increases. And it's you, you can't replicate one level before you get there because it's just psychologically, it's just impossible to do. But that first level is when you start throwing. Um, the second level is when you get to the mound for the first time and throw your first bullpen. The third level is going into spring training and throwing that first bullpen in spring training. That's just a different level of effort. Then you have batting practice, which is another level. And then you go to live hitters. Um, uh, and then you go to a spring training game. And during that spring training game, during spring training, there's, a, there's an increase uh, in effort based on pitch counts. As you increase through spring training, get ready for opening day. And finally, seven is opening day. That, that final day is opening day when you can't replicate that effort. And the reason I point these out is each level is where you'll find a pitcher getting hurt if a pitcher gets hurt. Moving up a level is uh, a, a degree of intensity. Like I said, you can't replicate it until you get there. Um, and the reason I'm mentioning this is because the WBC is, is day seven of that program. There is no – the stadiums will be full. You're competing for something against guys who might not – no one may know – but, but guys who are trying to, to win a job in spring training, trying to make a name or help their country win and all the things that go with that. But you're going from basically where these guys will be is, is uh, level four or five or six to level seven. And, and I mentioned that again for this reason. If we back up to 2017, uh, I'm going to throw some names out there. Felix Hernandez uh, had two long DL stints uh, after pitching in the WBC, went on with a shoulder injury in April, and then in August, bicep tendonitis missed a couple months of the season. Sam Dyson, who was the Rangers' closer in 2016, started the year, had a 10.8 ERA in 17 appearances, and was designated for assignment and done. Uh, Danny Duffy, lefty for the Royals, power, power arm, had multiple stints on the DL after a phenomenal 2016 uh, and, and only threw 146 innings after, after a great 2016. Seth Lugo uh, of the A's tore his UCL uh, during the season after throwing 15 innings in the WBC. Yuri's Familia of the Mets had an arterial collateral clot in his shoulder, didn't come back till August. Edison Volquez of the Marlins threw a no-hitter in June, but we had Tommy John surgery on August 4th. That's just seven guys. Um, and, and 
as a fan, as an organization, I, I honestly would try and avoid having any of my pitchers ever go. Um, just because I think it's it's a recipe for disaster. Um, and I don't know, I don't see anything positive. And here's the other thing, too. If you think about spring training from March 1st to March 29th this year, because opening day is the 30th, that's 29. We'll say there's 30 days in, in spring training, 30 days of games. Uh, the 8th to the 21st takes 13 days out of that, which means you have 17 days as a starting pitcher to get ready for spring training, to get ready for opening day which means you're probably talking four starts. Um, and, and you're going from two innings in a back B field game uh, uh, to start the camp to full stadium, packed house, live competition, and then dialing it back down as you come back to spring training. I, I, just, I just find that to be something, uh, you know, and I was a guy who I, I always shot to have 30 to 32 innings in spring training um, with my second to last start being 100 pitches. Uh, where I could get seven or eight innings out because I wanted to be ready to go opening day with, to, to, to throw a complete game. I didn't want pitch count to be a factor. And then my last start, I'd throw a 50 or 60 pitch tune-up. Uh, they don't have the luxury of doing those things given what they're being uh, thrown into. And, and I'm not complaining. I'm just pointing out if you're a fan, uh, if you're a fantasy owner, or if you're a, a, someone who bets the games, I would have a lot of trouble putting money around guys in the WBC that pitch um, for any length of time coming up this year. Um, but kind of on that note, like I said, the uh, Astros and Cardinals both are sending uh, 13 guys, uh, which is the most. The Giants, uh, Rangers, and A's have just the least with two. They're only sending like two each. Um, quick note on some guys heading into the WBC, Otani. Shoei Otani threw two and a third scoreless, punched out two, didn't allow a hit, walked two. Um, not that that matters, but he's, he's, he's cranking it up. Uh, Julio uh, Urias, the Dodgers, who I, I, I love, um, went two and a third, punched out four, gave up a run. Uh, he's going to make one more start before he heads to the WBC. And then Nick Martinez of the Padres punched out four and two innings uh, against the Mariners. So they're, they're getting there. But again, this is just uh, the, no matter what they just did, there isn't uh, a way to replicate the effort uh, that they're going to be exerting. And I, that always worries me. Uh, as a pitcher. And then and when you talk about uh, everyday players, Joey Cora um, uh, is, they're sending their free agent acquisition, Masataki Yoshida, to uh, the Team Japan. And he's made it known how he wants him to be used. He, according to uh, the Boston Gold's Peter Abraham, he said he would prefer that Yoshida played in left field for one game and take on designated hitter responsibilities in the other contest. Cora, who also hoped Japan would limit Yoshida's playing time before the matchup against China, Wanted the Red Sox newcomer to pass those instructions uh, along once he got to his next destination. And I apologize, it's not Joey Cora, it's Alex Cora. Um, uh, we've, I played with Alex for a couple of years, so I probably should have known better. Um, we've just got to make sure he doesn't play nine innings right away from the get-go, Cora told reporters for Abraham. They'll take care of him, and then, uh, and then the tournament starts. The, the problem is that uh, if I understand Team Japan... Uh, as I think I do, they, they're going to play who they need to play to win. They're trying to win this tournament. Uh, and most other countries are, everybody's trying to win it, but Japan will probably pull out all the stops to, uh, to make that happen. So, and what I found funny about that article, Kurt was they're just, he basically core is sending Yoshida to the manager of Japan and asking right. if they'll do this. Right. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I, and I'm not sure I see any reciprocal uh, uh, action on their part based on how I, they they played in the past. It's a big deal to them. 
It's a big deal to everybody, but I, I think you're looking at major leaguers who are, are enjoying the experience. Sure, they want to win, um, but Mike Trout's not going to play nine innings uh, on the first game, or, or I don't know how many of them. Um, and the rosters are deep, and they're, they're each taking 15 pitchers. So for the most part, they're taking 15 pitchers. So you're limiting. But uh, but again, you're talking about Hernandez threw seven innings in the, in the 2017, Dyson threw six, uh, Duffy threw eight, Lugo threw 15, which is insane. Familia threw three and a third. Uh, Volquez threw eight. So they're not going to throw a ton of innings. But again, it's the effort level. And that that, uh, that scares me a little bit uh, if I'm a pitcher or, or sending a pitcher. So anyway. And uh, if you get to the final, you play seven games. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, so it's – and uh, you can bet that some of those nations, if they get to the finals, will be managing that final game like a World Series game and everybody will be available regardless of when the last guy pitched and things like that. So I, I, I honestly, like I said, I understand it. Uh, I don't know how good it is for the game. Honestly, I don't know what the metrics are to measure that. Um, I like it. I like the concept of it. I hate it in spring training. Um, but I would be uh, adamantly against sending any pitcher from my organization to that thing, especially a young pitcher. Um, given their your, their inability to to be able to possibly dial it down, who knows? Otani may be able to go in there and be relaxed and just understand he's working through things. But the competitive nature of athletes tells me no, that's not how it's going to play or how it's going to work. So, uh, but I I hope everybody gets through healthy, and I would like to see a a, a good uh, a good tournament. And and not you know I'm 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 not going to make this a big deal, but if you think about this, there. are probably a couple guys who are flying to Taiwan and Japan to play in this tournament, um, which yeah. is two weeks uh, out of your cycle by a mile. And then they're coming back, which is, which is multiple days to get ready. And all that's to say that, that uh, uh, baseball is a very uh, fast switch uh, sport. Uh, it's the schedule is unbelievably grueling uh, and spring training is generally a time to ramp up. You're talking about a, trip halfway around the world twice um, and playing baseball games. And I'm not, like I said, I, I, I'm not a fan of sending my pitchers anywhere near that thing. So, so we're, it's going to be interesting to see. And, and one more thing, if you're a, if you're a gambler, uh, as I uh, know, there are many out there. Uh, if you're betting on a team, uh, uh, a favorite, I, I, I like uh, the Dominican. I like Japan. Uh, I like uh, the United States. Um, who else? Who do you, I mean, who, who, what are the teams that are jumping out to you? Uh, D Dominican. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They are stacked. They are. And, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's actually in many ways, it's really insightful to see how the team rosters are put. I mean, <laughs> Mike Trout, Mookie Betts in the same outfield. Are you wait? What? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the U S <laughs> infield is what Goldschmidt, uh, um, is it Arenado at third? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's insane. The rosters are insane. But you're also talking, uh, uh, what, two weeks into camp for these guys? Um, because they haven't yeah. reported. They just reported uh, not long ago. So, uh, no, it's going to be. If you, remember back, if you remember back to 2017, they, uh, the U.S. came through. Yeah. Yeah, no. It's, they were it, the strongest team. Yeah, there. I mean, there are. There are uh, I, it's very hard for a long shot because the the haves and have nots the 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 gaps are so immense. Um, but we do have the uh, 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team beating Russia, so anything's possible, I guess. Um, 
but yeah, the Dominican, uh, U.S., I, Japan, I, I, I wouldn't hesitate again because that it's so, it's such a big deal in Japan and and the Dominican, you know, because there's also a lot of these guys play against each other, so there's locking room bragging rights, which will be fun. Um, but but I, I those are the three. If I was putting money, I'd put money. Uh, if I had to bet and if on, if you were a, looking for a sleeper, I might throw in Venezuela. Yeah, so that that would probably be my long shot. I don't know what their odds currently are today, but but I would uh, uh, I don't know what their odds are on DraftKings. I would probably that would be my long shot because they do have obviously some talented uh, players on the roster, and and uh, this this whole tournament, in my opinion, comes down to who your 15 pitchers are uh, because uh, you know, like I said, hitters are just juicing up, getting ready. Juicing up is probably the wrong term, but uh, they're they're getting ready for. The season and a little behind the pitchers are a little ahead and that's how the season starts anyway so all right let's go uh, on to uh, talk about uh, this year uh, active guys who are not going to the WBC um, but who are really young and really talented we're going to talk uh, uh, about rookie of the years and betting uh, guys who, who you gamblers out there who are um, looking to put futures bets. futures yeah yeah first of all let me just say this um, I would I always I know the odds may change a little bit. Uh, I would always any futures bet in in baseball. I would wait till the end of spring training. I know you probably don't get as good of odds, but the amount of injuries that happen in spring training dramatically change. And it's also where you get your long shots to pay off because if you bet a long shot and a couple teams in that division ahead of them have injuries, then they're all of a sudden not the long shot they were when you bet them. So I, I get that, but. Um, if you go to DraftKings um, uh, oh, and uh, look up the odds uh, or FanDuel, but uh, but I'm I'm using DraftKings, you're gonna see everybody's favorite uh, Diamondback Corbin Carroll. Now, this is, and I, I don't want to use the word special because it's too plain, but he's a special sort of kid. He is. I mean, when you hear a five-tool guy mentioned, there's it doesn't happen a lot. You know, you think of your Ken Griffey Juniors and you know, guys like that, um, A-Rod, um, this kid's a five-tool guy. So uh, a very uh, impressive data you sent me. So he's plus 350, by the way, uh, to be Rookie of the Year. Um, and, Bill, you sent me a couple notes that I found fascinating. Yeah. He, he produced the ball speed, uh, 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 what is it they call it, um, um, off the bat. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, ball speed off the bat. Exit yeah. velocity. Exit velocity. Yeah, that, that's yeah. it. That's it. Of one hundred nine point one, which apparently is stratospheric. Um, last year he had a one hundred seven point five. He's twenty two years old. Uh, I, barring some catastrophic event in spring training, this kid's going to make the team, and he's going to be something special to watch for many years. Arizona is really uh, a, a sexy team prospect wise, um, but he's plus three fifty. He he tripled today, right? And they timed him from home to third, and it was ten seconds. Yeah, <laughs> it takes me ten seconds. It took me ten seconds to get the first. <laughs> so yeah, uh, put that in perspective. Um, yeah, he. I, I mean, we're talking about uh, with the new stolen base rules, a kid that probably could steal a hundred, um, and probably when his power fills out, be a thirty home run guy. Uh, very very uniquely talented kid. And I got to tell you, if you haven't read or heard about his story go find it it is one of the more fascinating stories uh you will ever see because physically this kid isn't you look at him and go oh, okay but uh he's all about it and uh and he's special um 
So uh, Miguel Vargas, second baseman, infielder for the Dodgers. He's plus 750. Jordan Walker, the Cardinals, plus 750. I don't know that he's going to make the team, but but uh, the note you had is right. I think if he does make the team, he's he's going to hit. Uh, big, big-time yeah. power. Um, the guy that I think probably might be a little bit of a sleeper and might be under the radar for a lot of people is uh, Ezekiel Tovar, the shortstop for Colorado. Um, he's plus 950. And the reason I like that is the reason you mentioned He's playing half his games in Colorado. Now, it's a different field. Things are different now there. Um, but the size of the outfield hasn't changed. And it's never been about the ball flying over the fence for pitchers in that ballpark. It's always about the size of the outfield. In, in Colorado, runners go first to third on every ground ball to the outfield. Uh, you're in scoring position at first base in Colorado. Um, it's a drastically different offensive ballpark for guys that are that are contact hitters because the grass is so thick and high, and because outfielders there's there's tw- it feels like it looks like two football fields in the outfield. It's so big, and it's it's one of the things I've always felt like the Rockies always needed to have three guys that could run track in the outfield because that outfield is is monstrous. And you know if if you watch one of the things to watch as a fan there too. The smart coaches, I think, you play your outfielder shallow because anything over your head generally is going out of the park in Colorado. So you take, you want to take away the extra, the, the hits, the the dinks that get over the infield because those are the ones that end up killing you. Uh, but but he's plus nine fifty. I like that. Um, Kodai Senga for the Mets pitcher. Uh, I'm inter- it's interesting to me. Um, he's interesting to me. He's plus seven fifty. Probably not bad money. Uh, Eli, is it Ellie or Eli? Ellie, I'm going to say Ellie. Dela Cruz. Yeah, Ellie Dela Cruz, the third base for Cincy. Uh, tool set uh, off the off the charts. Um, and <laughs> if you want to come to the big league, Cincinnati's probably the organization to be doing that since they have just about nobody to block. He's plus 1,200. I like him. Uh, and he's in a hitter's ballpark, which I like. Um, if I'm betting, this is probably one of the guys I'm putting my money on is, is Andrew Painter from Philly, starting pitcher, right-handed pitcher. He's only 19. He's plus 1,200. He's in the upper 90s. Only has six minor league starts. He, he, you know, he may not break camp, um, but they're trying to win a World Series. So I think if he's one of their five best, he's coming up. Um, when he comes up, he's going to put up numbers. Uh, I really, really like him. Um, and Brett Batty of the Mets, I love this guy. I, 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 and, and I love the fact that he's playing for somebody. Hopefully, we'll be talking to on this show pretty soon. Buck Showalter, uh, who is, I think, a phenomenal reader of people. He'll get the most out of this kid for a couple different reasons. And I think that the reasons are he'll understand the makeup. He'll understand... Buck understands these things. Um, and if he wins that job, I think he this kid is going to end up being a middle-of-the-order bat eventually. Um, so, that is going to be the question, yeah, if, right. if he wins the job, so, because it is a battle. In, uh, in uh, I just gave you odds on FanDuel. On DraftKings, Batty's plus 2,500. Painter's plus 1,500. Carroll's plus 380. A um, couple right. other guys I want to mention. Uh, I'm, I, I, if you could tell from the first show, I'm in love with the Orioles and, and all of the minor league prospects and all the, the, the big league-ready prospects that are in Baltimore. Um, Gunnar Henderson's plus 300. Everybody's in love with this kid. I, I think he's going to be their guy when he breaks camp and – um, but the guy I'm putting money on, if I'm betting right now, is, the, is Grayson Rodriguez. I think he's probably ahead of every young pitcher that I've seen. He's plus a thousand, and I don't know. I I wouldn't have problem putting futures bet on him to get Cy Young votes if uh, if that's a thing. Um, Heston uh, Kerstad, I can't find him on the board, um, but he's a guy that that. <laughs> 
Well, all three, all three of those guys are are number one. I think they're number one prospects in almost every organization in the league, uh, and they're all three in Baltimore. And that's not all that they have either. Kurt, one note on Rodriguez: he threw on Thursday two scoreless innings. Yeah. What yeah. I what I read about his his pitches: he threw seven curveballs, got zero swings against him, and had four strikes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. Uh, it, it, the problem is uh, the 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 only problem is with a kid that age, and and he's clearly physically more mature than most nineteen year olds. Mentally, I'm I'm sure he's he's doing well, but the 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 gap of where he is mentally as a pitcher to where he will eventually be is larger than the Grand Canyon, and and so there that's the for me that's the the um, that's the unknown. How is how is he going to react? Because basically you're looking at a kid who has never played at a league or a level with equal competition. He's always been the best. And, and what you see with a lot of these kids, they've been the best at every level they've ever been at. The big leagues for some people is the first time you ever play on an equal playing field or a playing field that's better than you are. So, and that's an adjustment. That's a physical and mental change. Some guys don't adjust to it. Some guys just are, are overwhelmed by it. Some guys are like, ho-hum, I'll just work and get better. Um, so, and, and that's the unknown for me. I not knowing these kids and, 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 you know, getting a, the impression of what they, they are from a makeup perspective. And that's why you kind of, like I said, I, you know, the, the Mets kid with bad, that's why I, I love the Mets uh, uh, this year as a potential is, is I love books, Buck Walter. I love what he's going to do. I think he's going to get the most he, that you can get out of that team again this year. Uh, and I think that they end up going, uh, going farther this year. So. But, yeah, no, the, the Orioles are going to be a fun uh, – listen, I would love to be uh, an Orioles season ticket holder now, uh, even though uh, you heard the owner talk about wanting to get concerts to the stadium for some idiotic reason. Um, but I would love to be an Orioles fan right now because I think that they are – they've drafted phenomenal. I think Adley Rushman's an MVP candidate this year, uh, top of the board, legit. He got votes last year, and it was amazing. He wasn't even up there the whole year, so – all right, Kurt. So one of your former teammates was on the gun show, which is one about kicks podcasts. And he was talking about the pitch count. And I want you to hear what he had to say. This is going to be genius. Do you think this benefits the hitter or the pitcher more, at least for like this season? Do you think? Yeah. Great question. Uh, if I was to give you an opinion, I, I think this benefits the hitter because we're not as mental midgets as pitchers. And that's a fact because pitchers, they think a lot more. When you're a hitter, you're trying to establish getting a fastball to hit and a hitter's count. Let's roll there. You know, so I think the pitchers are going to be the ones because they're all routine right. disoriented. You know, it's their fifth day, one, three, fifth day, my start. You can't talk to me. I got my headphones on at four o'clock. I'm going to get stretched. I'm going to get rubbed out. So it's more of a routine as a hitter and a position player. I mean, we can adjust a little, a little quicker, I think. So I think the advantage goes to the hitter. Really? Are you kidding me with that? Not <laughs> as mental midgets. Okay. So, uh, clearly, uh, Kevin Millard was never associated with Mensa. Um, and, uh, from a IQ perspective, probably in the low double digits, um, uh, and if you look at, yeah, I mean, so here's the problem that he, that he's not thinking through. And, and he was a guy too, that, that stepped out of the box. Hitters have always good hitters have used 
stepping out of the box is a way to control the tempo of an at-bat. Uh, if you haven't seen, guys, if you haven't seen uh, Max Scherzer's first spring training out, then go back and look at YouTube and watch it real quick. Um, and watch what happens when a good pitcher uses the time clock to destroy hitters. You know, Max Scherzer, I would imagine, like Verlander, like uh, Radon, like Cole, uh, DeGrom, all the aces, those guys are, are baseball is very mental, and hitting is obviously very mental, although you either have to be mentally strong or mentally absent. Millar was kind of a mentally absent kind of guy. Um, but you have to, you, those guys, you have to work through in a bat, and in your, you know, good hitters like Manny, see the ball, hit the ball, and, and all that goes with that. But they'll use stepping out as a tempo. And guys used to do it to me all the time because I worked very fast. They'd step out of the box, step out of the box. It didn't bother me. Um, guys used to do it to Nolan Ryan, and he would drill them, and they stopped doing it. So uh, that went out of fashion. But, but anyway, um, if you watch the Scherzer start from earlier in spring training, and you watch, I mean, Bill, uh, you remember Nomar Garciaparra. Like, sure. How would his at-bats go now? He stepped out and readjusted his gloves every pitch. He'd be 0-2 half the time. Right, right. No, I, and I can think of a ton of guys who used to do that, um, take their time. Lenny Dykstra, who we had on last week, uh, our last show, he was a guy that took his time. And he told you that was that pace of thing, that pace of an at-bat is, is the hitter can dictate it, not anymore. And I think good pitchers will, will gain far more of an advantage over hitters than any hitter could gain over a pitcher. Because, like I, I, and I said it very early on, the only rule, the only pitchers this is going to affect are guys that aren't very good because good pitchers work quick already. And I can tell you who's going to really benefit is the, the defense, your defense, uh, if you're getting quick innings. I mean, I think I saw that there was a strikeout yesterday uh, in 20 seconds. 20, yeah. Wandy Peralta of the Yankees. 20 seconds for the entire at bat. I mean, Three you pitches. Go, right. You go back and look at like Josh Beckett, 20 seconds was half the time he took between a pitch. It's it's mind boggling, but yeah, it's gonna it's I think it's gonna have a massive impact uh, on the at bats. It's definitely gonna speed the game up. I mean that that's no question. I think you're gonna see, um, and there's not a lot of arguing to be done, right? The clock's in front of everybody, so it's it's gonna be very interesting to see. And you're gonna and the problem I have with this is you're gonna see crappy umpires become more a part of the game, which is a guy like Angel Hernandez is going to inject himself anytime he can. He already does, but he will do. This rule just gives him more opportunity to do that. A guy like C.B. Buckner, same way. Uh, and I think that's a bad thing. So anyway, so uh, the, 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 uh, the Brainiac Millar with a, uh, a, a dumb quote and uh, one that par for the course for that guy. So. <laughs> Hey, we've been soliciting questions yep. from around the viewers, yep. and we've got some in, so I want to bounce a few of these yep. off you right. while we still have time. Okay. Patrick Murray asks, was there any kind of a competition between you and Randy Johnson when you guys were on the Diamondbacks? And by the way, Patrick's mother thought you were the greatest guy ah. Well, thank ever. you. Uh, Patrick, absolutely. For me, anyway. I absolutely uh, competed and thrived on his excellence. Uh, you'd have to ask him. Uh, he was always very, uh, uh, I think he frowned on people asking him that question because he thought that, that uh, I, I, he believed he was, he was good whether I was there or not. I know I was better because of him, absolutely, no question about it. I mean, here's a, a guy going out before me every fifth day who's doing things you've never seen before. 
and I got to follow that up, you know, I looked at it as, a, as an absolute challenge in a good way, and it was a great competition. I, I, I know I thrived off it and excelled because of it. Okay, Quentin Edwards asks, as a Hall of Fame pitcher, I would like to know what hitters gave you trouble and what about them gave you trouble? Well, I appreciate the Hall of Fame compliment, uh, even though I don't have a plaque. But, yes, I appreciate that. Uh, this is kind of an easy one. Uh, right-handed, uh, Derek Lee wore me out. Wore me out. Marquise Grissom wore me out. Uh, early in his career, Mark Lemke wore me out. You notice there's a pattern with those last two guys. They're both uh, uh, under six feet tall. I had trouble with small guys early in my career. But Derek Lee wore me out. I, I could not get him out. Left-handed. I had two nightmare guys left-handed. Todd Helton was the worst. Uh, I, I hated facing him. I hated everything about his at-bats um, because I, I feel like he went like 15 for five off me without ever hitting a single. Um, he hit a ball, and I'm going to tell you real quick. He hit a ball against me in Colorado. I'll never forget this. I threw a fastball. I think it was 96 or 97 miles an hour on the inside half of the plate, and he opened up and turned on it, and he hit it. Enrico Bronia, who was my first baseman at the time, jumped to catch the ball, and the ball went off the right field fence. He hit it that hard. It went off the right field fence, never got higher than seven feet off the ground. Um, and then uh, Frank Catalanato wore me out. I, I, two guys I just could not get out. Um, but, yeah, and it wasn't – I mean – you know, I, I have, so there were some guys I can remember, Eddie Murray, I think I had Eddie Murray 0 for 31. I'll never forget this either. So I played with Eddie Murray. My first year I came up in 88, I was with Eddie Murray in Baltimore, and I, Eddie was a phenomenal guy to me. Uh, and then he went to the Mets, and I faced him, I think, 30 sometimes. He was 0 for 31, and I thought, and I remember he was retiring, and he was with the Mets, and I said to myself, you know, this is probably the last time I'll ever face him. I'm going to have a Hall of Famer 0 for 32 in my book, and I'll be damned if he didn't hit a single up the middle in that last at bat. Um, but, yeah, those things, it's funny. The guys that I had in my book and the guys whose book I was in wouldn't be a lot of the names you'd think of. Um, but those were the four guys that I can remember just wore me out. Yeah, I was expecting more yeah. big names from your career. Well, I think Todd Helton's um, a Hall of Famer, right? Uh, well, definitely, uh, yeah. definitely. And, and, I, and Eddie Murray. Right, right, right. But, but, but like, Andres Galarraga, I owned. Um, it was weird who it was and who it wasn't. Yeah. I think Bond, the mo guy, Bonds hit more home runs off me than anybody. He hit nine, but I had faced him like a hundred times and he only hit like 240 something, but, but he, he, he got me a couple times. Last question I have for you, Charles Flaherty. Is there anybody besides you in the history of baseball that you would want on the mound in a game seven? A win or die game? Win or die game? No. <laughs> No, I, your playoff record is unbelievable. What I, was it about you in playoff games? I absolutely relished the opportunity to be center stage when the most was on the line. I absolutely, and I think it goes back to how I was raised. My dad, my dad was the exact opposite of me in many ways. He was a man of very few words. Um, but he never, ever, ever, I never saw my father panicked. So I, I looked at that as, a I went into it thinking, I have a chance to make people remember me for the rest of their lives tonight. And when you go into, in 1993, when we went into Atlanta for game five, Terry Mulholland said, you know, this is when the Tomahawk chop was politically okay. 
Um, and this was when the Braves were at the beginning of that, you know, that 90s run. And they were doing the tomahawk chop before the game, and I had walked down to the bullpen and warmed up. And, and uh, coming off game one, I struck out the first five games. So my first playoff game, I struck out the first five hitters in the postseason I ever faced. And I remember, I didn't know until afterwards, Nolan Ryan and, like, Carl Hubble are the only two guys that ever did that. Um, but we ended up winning that first game, and I was like, you know, this is pretty cool. We go to game five, and I get done with my warm-up, and I come back to the bench, and Terry Mahon looks at me, and it's loud. He goes, just think, man. You have the ability to make every one of these people shut up. And I was like, oh, damn, yeah. And then I went out and shut them out for nine innings uh, and did that. And I just, I cherished that. I relished that. I looked forward to that. There were a lot, and, and I always said that there were two types of players in October. There were the guys paralyzed by fear and the guys motivated by fear. And I was always motivated. Fear of failure was probably the single strongest thing in my career to motivate me. So I loved it. I loved every second of those games. That's tremendous, Kurt. Just tremendous. Well, that's all we got time for this week. Another good week. We're back again next Tuesday. Yep. Bob, the WBC will be kicking off. We'll have a lot to talk about. Absolutely. All right, bud. Stay tuned. You have a good night, and we'll talk to you next week. All right.